But there is an implicit danger in anything in life that, that we practice or engage in. And the danger is that um, the practice will turn into just like rote religiosity, if you will. That there's a lot of good things that we can do, but when we lose the reason why we do those good things, we just do them and they become void of all the meaning. So for example, you could go find a building um, anywhere in town and go to it on a Sunday morning and you might be the only person there. Uh, but then you, can, uh, then you can go home and you can say, well, I checked off church attendance. Like I went to, let's say it's a church building. I went to a church building and I attended church check. And granted, we're, we can argue day and, day and night about what the definition of church is. But you get what I'm getting at. Like you can do things over and over again and, and check a box that like, I did it. It feels good. It feels right. And then at the end of the day, it, it's still empty. And then before you know it, our whole lives can be built on a system that we're just doing things that we have no idea why we do them. I showed you guys a video. I didn't want to replay it, but I showed you a video a while back of this lady that goes into a waiting room. And every time she hears a ding, uh, the person next to her stands up. And then uh, he, and then more people come, and they don't know why it's happening, but they just like stand up when they hear the ding. And eventually, they cycle uh, willing participants that are in on the, the project, and then outside people that have no clue. They cycle enough that it's just outside people, but uh, they hear this ding, and they're just standing up. And the, uh, I remember at some point in the video, someone was like, why are we doing this? And she goes, I don't know. We just, this is what we do. And that's the inherent danger in any part of our lives, especially, especially, especially those of us who are, who are I'm putting this in quotes, who are good, in quotes, church folk, grew up in church. <clears throat> the danger is that we establish a certain level of religiosity and we forget the why behind the things <clears throat> that we do. And before we know it, like I said, our whole lives are built on systems that we have no idea why we do these particular things, but we do them anyways. <clears throat> Paul encounters the church at Colossae in a really similar situation to what I'm talking about. The saying yes to the person of Jesus, saying I want to follow Jesus, but also wanting to say yes to their old way of life. To also wanting to say yes to the systems and practices that they've built. So let's start in verse 16. <clears throat> and verse 16 starts with therefore, which, which for us is an indicator that this is a transition passage. And so for us to, to understand what we're going to talk about today, uh, today we're talking about what should we do because of it, but we have to jump back because the passage is transitioning for us, and we have to jump back to what uh, Nathan talked about last week. Oh, poor kid. I get it, man. Uh, so we have, to, we have to jump back to what he talked about last week. So because of everything Nathan talked about last week, therefore, what we're going to talk about today. What did Nathan talk about last week? Nathan talked about and reminded us the beautiful reality that Jesus changes everything. 
There's not a facet of our lives, there's not an ounce of our lives that Jesus does not have the power and ability to come into our lives and transform. That Jesus satisfies the deepest longings of our soul, that he transforms us into the people that God designed us to be, that he offers us hope beyond our current circumstances, that he saves us from our sin and he forgives the debt that we owed God. Jesus is that person that he so radically transformed our lives. Jesus changes all of these things. He changes every ounce of our being So then, how should we live? And that's what Paul gets onto today. So because Jesus changes everything, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, it seems like a a hard turn, to go, we're talking about the totality of Jesus' transformation, the sufficiency of Christ. He's enough, he's good, he's holy, he's perfect, he's right. And then, so, so uh, he's going to talk about people judging us about what we eat or drink. It seems like we move from the greatest mysteries of life into the bare necessities, the basics of human survival, eating and drinking. But remember back with me, Paul's speaking here to a people who were trying to bootstrap their way into relationships with God by practicing the right practices. And they were observing, uh, as he uh, notes here, they were observing the Jewish calendar and their practices. Now keep in mind, uh, it's important for us to remember that the, the calendar and the practices, the festivals that God gave the people of Israel are not an evil thing. I think sometimes we look at practices that are outside of ourselves and we go, uh, or outside of our traditions or experiences, and we go, oh, that's, that's a wrong thing to engage in those practices. No, it's a beautiful thing. You look back at, at, at uh, God's people in the Old Testament, and what a gift, what a gift to remember God's provision as they look at all of these festivals. What a gift to remember God's nearness and his faithfulness that year after year God provided a harvest. And year after year uh, they were reminded that there's a, a Messiah coming. Like what a, what a beautiful remember. So the practices in themselves are not evil or wrong practices. They were gifts given by God to the people of Israel in order to be a connecting point with him. Think of them as signposts. These are the festivals they celebrated, the Sabbath they kept, the communal things they did together. These were the means by which Israel remembered who they were, who God was, and where the two intersected. But where we see Paul addressing them today is that the the festivals, the calendar, the traditions, the Sabbath days, weren't an end in themselves. They were a means to an end. They were not the totality of God's idea of human flourishing, that like when you do these right practices, when you celebrate these right festivals, when you, when you take Sabbath on a regular basis, uh, that's not the idea of human flourishing, but instead they pointed to the one that provides human flourishing in Christ. They were a means to an end. But they were a way of marking time and remembering the character of God. 
So Paul here is not saying that these practices are evil or that they're wrong to engage with. Instead, what he's saying is your practices are ringing empty. Apart from Jesus, the practices that we engage with as religious folk ring empty. The purpose, their purpose, was to point towards something greater. And, and, and Paul's saying that something greater has, has come. It's Jesus. It's found in the person of Jesus. He says uh, in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. It makes me think, I know I share stories about this often, but um, Amanda and I, when we first started dating, we dated apart. And so we'd only get to see each other every, every month or two. And that usually necessitated one of us taking a trip to the other, several hours apart. And so uh, I, as any high school boy does, absolutely smitten with a girl, my room is just plastered with pictures of Amanda. Because she's, I mean, you've seen her. She's beautiful. Um, it would make no sense for me approaching one of these trips to know that I'm going to drive to the Indianapolis airport and I'm going to pick up Amanda, this person that I love so deeply. I'm so excited to see her. I'm so excited to, to spend time with her and, and, and instead go and pick her up at the airport. But then the whole time she's with me, I'm just staring at one of these framed pictures of her going, isn't this great? Isn't this great that I'm able to see Amanda? And she's like, uh, Jordan, Jordan, I'm here. It's wonderful. I get to remember what she looks like. I get to, I might even see like, uh, like a dimple or a freckle or something. Oh, she's so caring. She's so, I can remember her character as I look at this. Uh, it's such a beautiful picture uh, of Amanda. It's absurd. But how often do we look at the good gifts of God's grace that are signposts and markers for his character and instead become infatuated with the signposts rather than the giver of the signposts? Now, I suspect that, that probably, I, I do know some people uh, who, who do this, but I suspect as I've engaged in conversation in this room that there's no one in this room who are struggling with whether or not they are to continue celebrating and remembering Jewish festivals in the calendar. I just, I can't fathom that that's the case for someone here. Um, but I think there's an inherent danger for us, that aside, for us to <coughs> fixate on the shadow of what's to come instead of focusing on, on the reality which is found in Christ. And the danger for us is to then get sucked into empty ritual, empty ritual, instead of focusing on the ritual giver, Jesus. We go on practicing the same thing over and over again uh, where we mistake the means for the end where our eyes and hearts are more fixed on the ritual rather than the one they point towards. Now we don't have too many festivals. I hope that we continue to grow in our, our keeping of the Sabbath. It's a good gift of God's grace. But as I think about rituals being those outward expressions that remind us of who God is, the signposts, uh, what if, what if 
uh, we have become infatuated with church attendance as the signpost for us that we're, we're good people. And, and we show up every Sunday out of duty, out of obligation, out of guilt. You fill in the blank for yourself. And then we leave feeling like we are good people because we've shown up here on Sunday morning. Maybe instead of church attendance, it's a small group involvement. And you're like, yeah, I do it because that's what good Christian holy folk are supposed to do. Um, but you're just kind of halfway leaning in. It's a little in and a little about. What about, what about your tithe and your offering? You write that check every month and, and you go, yeah, I did it. I did what I'm supposed to do uh, that God told me to do. Maybe it is our, our, our prayer gathering on, on Wednesday nights or, or some other time during the, throughout the week that, that you show up out of ritual and out of obligation and you've just kind of carved your life around it, which is a good thing, but you just show up week after week after week after week after week and it has begun to ring empty for you. Well, what about this? There's a lot of good things that are done in the name of Jesus that I fear ring empty. There's plenty of NGOs around the world serving the poor and the destitute who are empty because they are a part of the person of Jesus. And so you can do a good things. Every time you see someone who's out asking for money, you can throw them a $20 bill and feel great about yourself. But, uh, but maybe it feels like it's empty and it's hollow. Maybe it's serving here in, in one of our like student or children's ministries or one of our adult ministries. And you do all these things. You have these rituals, these signposts for God's character, but you've become so fixated on the signposts that you forget get the giver of those signs. The danger for us, just like the people of Israel that that Paul is speaking to, the danger for us is that they just become empty rituals. Not that they're inherently bad. Nothing that I, everything I just listed off is a good thing. But the danger is when we become fixated on the good thing and, and neglect the greatest thing in the person of Jesus. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. God wants us to focus on the ultimate thing. Here's what I was reminded of this morning. Jesus did not proclaim a gospel of church attendance and moral betterment. He didn't. The gospel that Jesus came to proclaim was about setting the captives free. He proclaimed a gospel of liberation and freedom from the sin uh, that held humanity bondage. So all of these rituals that we can engage with, uh, they're pointing towards something and that something is found in the person of Jesus. And so if all of this is feeling rather empty to you, might I suggest that maybe we've been engaging in these rituals out of obligation and out of duty and instead of inviting us to join in with engaging with, uh, with these rituals to connect with Jesus. So we focus, uh, Paul focuses here on, on these rituals, the things that are kind of the external practices. And then he shifts our attention in verse 20 
to, uh, so we talked about empty rituals, and they shifts our attention to empty regulations. So if rituals are these outward expressions of, uh, I'm going to participate communally with, uh, with God's people, and I'm going to be a good person by what I do through these rituals, the regulations are the things that are a little bit more internal, the stuff, the standards we're holding ourselves to. Read with me in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Why as though you belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Some experts here debate on exactly what regulations Paul is talking about. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They're all fairly generic, uh, but it's clear that he's pointing back to some of these like ritualistic practices of the Jewish people. And, and what's super clear, even if we're not entirely sure of what he means by do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. If he was speaking to a specific situation that the church is walking through, what's clear is that he's warning about the dangers of letting also these regulations that people hold themselves to become once again empty practices. He says they, they have the ability, excuse me, the ability to appear like they're holy. And you look at someone engaging in practices of abstinence or, or, or engagement, things like this, and, and you look at that and you go, wow, they must be really holy. They must be, they must really love God. They must be a really good person. But the warning for the church in Colossae and the warning for us is that they actually lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. They seem holy, but at the end of the day, they're empty. Our eyes are fixed on the wrong thing. It can look like we're doing a lot, but in the reality, it all just rings empty. I went to college in uh, Tacoa, Georgia. I lived off campus for three of the four years in a house, and uh, Amanda and I lived there for uh, two of those years together after we were married, and I remember coming home one day, and no one else was home, and I walked into my kitchen, <coughs> and I stepped over my vacuum cord, which had somehow gotten increasingly fatter, and I stepped over my vacuum cord, and I started to do dishes, and then it begins to register that that black thing that I just stepped over was not my vacuum cord, actually, and I turn around to see a four-foot black snake in the middle of my kitchen. Anybody just, like, need to close their ears because I'm about to talk about snakes for a little bit? <laughs> Katrina's like, get me out of here. So I step, over, I step over this snake, and I'm not, like, I'm not scared of snakes. I'm scared of mice. Don't ever get me around mice. So I probably should have kept the snake around. Uh, but I'm not scared of snakes. But I'm also not an idiot. I'm not going to go like, hey, come here, buddy. I'm not going to go pick it up with my hands. So I, like any manly man uh, would do, find every utensil I can. I trap it under a clear tub, which was hard to do because it's so stinking long. And I, I get it shoved in there. And then I'm like, okay, now it's under the tub. But now what am I going to do? So I go find cardboard to get another tub. Eventually, I get it outside. 
I get the snake outside, and I, I dump it in the ground. Now, uh, for those who are uh, animal lovers, I'm not, I'm not like proud of this, but it was what needed to happen in the moment because there's a big snake that I was trying to take care of. And, and so I go get a shovel, I dump it in the yard, and I very graciously, quickly, expeditiously uh, dispose of said snake. And I do so by just chopping the head clean off. When I chopped the head clean off, I was unprepared for uh, what would happen next because the, the snake was, for all intents and purposes, dead. I don't know the nervous system of a snake, but I assume its brain is in the head and when you chop it off, that's it for it. But the thing wriggled around like crazy for a long time. You got this muscle memory flexing and it's just like, and so it's hooling all over the ground, doing all sorts of who knows what. And if you walked up on that situation and you didn't know that it was disconnected from the head, you would look at that snake and go, I need to get out of here because I am in grave danger. It looks like that snake's going crazy. It looks like stuff is happening. I need to get out of here. But in reality, there was no danger because the snake had a lot of frenetic movement. It had a lot of activity, but in fact, it was dead because it was disconnected from the head. And so it is for, the, for a lot of us who follow and trust Jesus. We have a lot of frenetic, all-over-the-place movement. We're going and we're doing. We're going and we're serving. We're going and participating. We might even be going and leading. But then you go home at night and you feel just awfully empty. We fast. We pray, we fellowship, we give, we abstain, we partake, we engage. We do all the good things, the right things, but we are detached from Jesus. And and so we have the appearance of doing lots of stuff, but in reality, it's all empty. It's all just empty regulations that we've held ourselves to, and it has no value. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but we've talked about several R's in the first half of Colossians that Jesus does for us. Jesus rescues us. Jesus revives us. Jesus uh, release, uh, Jesus uh, reconciles us. Today, Jesus releases us. And here's what you're released from. Here's what I'm released from. We are released from the obligation of ritual and regulation. And we are invited into the greatest good, which is relationship with Christ Jesus, experiencing his presence, experiencing and living out his forgiveness for a dying and hurting world to see. Because it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. There's a million things we can do here at Connection. And there's a million good things we can do here at Connection. But I don't want to do it if it's disconnected from the head, if it's disconnected from Jesus. And so I, I, I thought of three areas that I want to see our faith family grow in. 
I've talked about, I want us to grow in letting one another into our lives. We're great at, at going out into others' lives, but we're not good at, at letting people into our lives. We're sheltered, guarded, and closed people. And sure, we will let people into the outer layer of our lives, but when it comes to like knowing us and knowing the deepest, darkest places, we'll, we will polish that up all day long. But I don't want fellowship and communion of that, of that nature for fellowship's sake. That's empty. It's not going to satisfy us. I want the love of Jesus to have so invaded our lives that we can't not be bound together because of who he is and what he's done for us. I want to see us grow in how we share the good news of Jesus with those in our circles of influence, with our neighbors and our coworkers. But I don't want evangelism for evangelism's sake. Because guess what? That's empty and people see right through that. When you go and you say, I'm going to evangelize out of obligation because I'm, Jesus tells me I'm supposed to. People smell that coming from a mile away. But instead, I want us to be so consumed with the good news of Jesus, so transformed by his love, mercy, and grace coursing through our bodies that it is, it is nothing but the natural overflow of our lives to then just share that with others. You guys do this. We do this already. When is the last time, we're Midwestern people, when's the last time you shared with someone that you purchased something at a good deal? Like when's the last time you got a coupon for something and then you bought something or something was on sale and you were like, guess what, I, guess how much I paid for this? Not full price. I, we tell people that all the time because it's good news. Like I said, we're Midwestern, we love saving a buck. But if that's good news, how much greater is the news that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has made us alive again in Christ Jesus. That's the greatest news. It doesn't get any better than that. And so my hope for us is that that so deeply invades our lives that we just become sprinklers for God's grace and mercy pouring out over our world. Jesus releases us from the obligation of ritual and regulation and invites us instead into a new and transformed life. A transformed life that the whole world gets to witness and see. And so my invitation for you as we, as we close our time together is this. If you, as you have experienced these things, if you feel like, oh, this all just feels so hard, this all just feels so empty, maybe that's because it is. Nathan said it last week, uh, as Paul said, uh, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Don't, don't like wander off into something else that like, yes, I'm saved into the faith through Jesus, but now I'm going to be uh, stayed in the faith through my acts of service or through my financial giving or through my involvement in the church or through my morality or through my church attendance. No, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in them. So my invitation for you today is that if it feels empty, 
if it feels like you're, you're, you're here at obligation, if it feels like you're doing all this out of ritual or regulation, my invitation is to remember who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one that bore our sins on the cross. He paid the debt that we couldn't. But then he doesn't just kind of willy-nilly pay our debt and then keep us at an arm's length like, this is kind of annoying that I had to pay this for you. Like, like uh, when you were a teenage driver and you forgot your money at the, the gas pump and, and you pump your gas and you realize you don't have a way to pay for it before everything was prepay. And then one of your parents have to show up and like pay for you and they kind of seem a little bit annoyed that you forgot your money. It's not like that. He's not keeping us at an arm's, arm's length. He pays our debt and then invites us into loving relationship with him. So we don't have to serve out of, out of this empty ritual. We don't have to serve out of this empty obligation or regulation. We, like, we get to engage in all of this stuff because Jesus is good and Jesus is God. Just as you received Christ Jesus, so continue to live your lives in him. Father, we praise you that we get to do this thing called life, that we get to be a people of faith, that we get to pray, that we get to attend a gathering of believers, that we get to serve, that we get to give, that we get to evangelize, that we get to let one another in, that we get to love, that we get to do all of these things, Lord. And we praise you that you've released us from the debt of obligation of having to. Instead, you invite us into willing relationship of getting to. So, Father, I pray for those in this room. I intercede on their behalf that just feel like it all rings empty. Will you fill up that carved out empty space with a reminder of who you are and what you've done. And as we gaze on your goodness, will you allow us to, uh, to be, again, reminded and brought back into a loving relationship with you. Lord, we hold fast to the truth found in scripture that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. just fixed our attention elsewhere. So help us put, us put it back on you this morning. Receive this last song as an offering of praise unto you.